Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to The Hilo, the weekly news and pop culture podcast brought to you by journalists Pandora Sykes, moi, and Dolly Alderton. That's how it's done, isn't it? (laughs) It's a masterclass for me every week. (laughs) Dolly struggles with the intro, so I think just unspoken rule is from now on so that she doesn't weep and sweat for half an hour. But also, to all the meanie commenters, I have given Pandora full permission to do this, and we don't want any messages saying that she's taking over with the intro. (laughs) She's being a kind friend by doing that for me. <laughs> Might be a sore point there. So, <laughs> the Hilo is 20 today. 20 years? No. <laughs> 20 episodes. I wish I could say I was 20 today. What were you like when you were 20? Paint me um, a picture, as Kirsty Young would so say. So, one of my friends, Alex, when I was at university, used to call me Clipboard Pandy. I love that detail. So, that, that's that an before. insight into me. Um, what was I like? Juicy Much Couture? The same as oh, I know. No, Sienna no. Miller Bangles. No, no, I wasn't really very Sienna. I was like very Topshop and Primark. Kate Moss dresses? Yeah, Kate Moss dresses. But I mean, I, I look back on pictures of myself at university. I'm like, holy shit, what was going on there? I went deep into your Facebook photos when we first became friends. You see how round my face is? It was spherical. You do look very different, I must say. You do, you, you, your face has changed as you've got older. I think it's just baby fat, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no pictures. I sent my friend a picture the other day of me and her, and our faces are just... Yeah, me and Farley have Enormous. That. It's like, you just look much like... It's just fleshier, and isn't she it? she was like, the best thing about that picture is clearly I was so greedy that someone is trying to feed me, and mm-hmm. next to her face is just this hand with a piece of chocolate. <laughs> oh my God, that's so funny. There's a, a similar photo that Farley dug out recently of us on our like last day of our French GCSE class. And it's just like us all like hugging around a table. Like obviously we've been watching DVDs, allowed to have like a relaxed day. And it's just my hand like elbow deep into a bag of Walker's sensations. <laughs> and I was just like, that says it all, doesn't it? Thrusting Picture tells a thousand it. stories. <laughs> Picture has, says a thousand words. I don't know. I'm very tired. Today, <laughs> I wondered when you were cracked. You cracked early. <laughs> I'm so tired. It's I'm okay. the most tired I've ever been no, in my no, life. No, no, come on, come on now. Did you get that little video I sent you of me on the tube? I accidentally pressed on it. When I was trying to WhatsApp you, and I got some sort of soundtrack of you on a tube. What was that? It was, you know, these bands that come onto the tube that sometimes I find very jolly and fun. Oh yeah, and, and they're like, hit look, the road, Jack. You didn't look you happy in that. No, and sometimes I'm really up for it, and I sort of think, oh, I feel like I'm Amelie, and isn't the ins- aren't the incidentals of life charming and wonderful? Yeah, isn't I love it. Urban living, beautiful. Yeah. And then some days, like today, I'm just like, shut the fuck, fuck up. <laughs> I had some French teenagers all singing a song together, um, mm. and there were a few people around thinking it was obviously really sweet, and I was like, clearly the tube is time for reading. What doing like a like a like six of them all together singing some sort of folk song really loudly. I have to say, I'm now one of those grumps that when uh, when a primary school class is ushered on to achieve, I get straight off. 
when when Ollie and I were delayed the other day by five hours or whatever the old English man next to us was watching cricket on his iPad (laughs) without headphones and Ollie said I'm really sorry but can you put your headphones in and he looked at him like with the most disgusted face I find that that wouldn't even have been live cricket I find that the weirdest (laughs) thing of all that someone assumes that you want to listen to whatever they're watching. I know, but then nothing makes me feel more like Victor Meldrew than when I'm on the 24 bus and I turn around to like some youths being like, excuse me, can you put your headphones in? But it's unbelievably bizarre to me. I'm with you. It's I'm noise pollution. You. Speaking of noise pollution, can everyone, <laughs> can everyone hear the building work? Anyway, we digress. Dolly, why don't you ask me what I've been doing this week? So, <laughs> do a nice signpost for the podcast. <laughs> Well, so I love that we do it every week. What have you been doing this week? You're like a really close friend of mine. Like, I know. <laughs> no, sometimes I save stuff. No, you do section. save things. I don't you tell do you stuff things. on purpose. I've saved a couple of things for you this week. Anyway. Oh, well, I can't wait. You go first. So, um, my happiest discovery this week is that Tesco's are now paying tampon tax for their customers. So Woo-hoo! you don't have to. But they went around saying, do you know what tampon tax is? And the people always, always women always said no and mm. Tesco then said well you're actually being charged to have periods mm. and Tesco's is going to pay for that tax for you and they're going oh my god amazing it was a very similar narrative everywhere they went and I thought I could be really sad about the fact that not one single woman knew what tampon tax was that Tesco's interviewed but then I thought we have to remember that we live in this urban bubble where news is just you know totally and also they haven't been forthcoming with that information you know I didn't know about that I'll, I'll be honest until the last few years so it's, there's a reason why that information I think it's been, been very much buried because the government exactly. failed to do anything about it so it's yeah. like by the way you're paying tough periods <laughs> <laughs> I've read some really good stuff this week Dolly tell me about it Pandora <laughs> so I finished reading um, The Course of Love by Alan de Botton which is really wise and magical and loving and sweet um, but wise above anything else I some feel of like it seems slightly depressing I must say Course of love? Mm. No, you'd love the course of love. Okay. It, it, well, I, li- I like anything that kind of breaks the fantasy fairy tale thing that we're sold of love. That is very damaging. I would say it's still a celebration of love, but it breaks it down sort of as a cultural criticism, and it's it's very helpful. So you follow the lives of um, a husband and a wife mm-hmm. from the moment they meet till twenty five and so like so like marriage. hypothetical like scientific subjects. Like no, it's like fiction. Oh, okay. But then every few paragraphs is interspersed with a sort of philosophical breakdown of their relationship in italics. Right. So, ah. um, Rabbi is feeling like this because Kirsten has done this, but Kirsten doesn't have the ability to tell Rabbi that how she's feeling is this. If she did, Rabbi would understand. And if Rabbi explained to Kirsten, so okay. he was Kirsten, this is how he's feeling. So it's, it's quite hard to explain, but it, it's a really readable book and you'd I'm glad you say it. that it's celebration because I love all that stuff, but everything like the extracts I had no, read seemed a bit doer, but you know. No, it's a celebration. Okay, I'll read it then. I read An Untamed State by Roxanne Gay, which is a overwhelming book, to say the least. Um you've like read all of her everything writing. she's written now. I've been doing a binge on Roxanne Gay... Maggie O'Farrell and Anne Patchett because I've just sort of suddenly discovered all of these contemporary female writers and bought everything from Amazon. My Amazon habit is out of control. I've got books literally piled on top of the cat. Do you buy them second hand though? Always. Always I love it when you get a 1p one. Always used to new. (laughs) Yeah, you spend more on the postage than the book. People really, you know, kick Amazon as well and I'd just like to point out that whenever you buy a like new or used book from Amazon, you're buying off a small 
indie indie bookseller. Yeah. yeah. Um, also, quickly on Roxanne Gay, I've yeah. recently discovered. I know I'm, I'm going to sound like such a dad saying this because I know it's like the most famous podcast ever. I've recently discovered Fresh Air, and do you know about Fresh Air? No. So hi, Dad. <laughs> Me, Dad. <laughs> um, Fresh Air. There are these things called podcasts, and they're sort of like a radio program, <laughs> but you can download them at any time. Um, it's this amazing American journalist. It's NPR, I think. Um, do you know what I'm talking about, Charlie? Yeah, it's very famous, isn't it? Yeah, he's nodding. Um, and they just get really brilliant guests on really great interviewees. They've had... How weird that we've never heard of it before. I know, but there's a whole American podcast thing that I'm just discovering yeah, now, which true. is amazing. Okay, anyway, Fresh Air, there's a great interview with Roxanne Gay. And there's a great interview with Lena Dunham. There's a great interview with Jill Soloway. There's a great interview with Jonathan Safran Foer. It's like all our favourite people. Wow. So fresh Amazing. Up. I'll check yeah. that out. And the third thing I've read this week that I loved is a book of pop culture essays by BuzzFeed's culture critic Anne Helen Peterson called Too Fat, Too Slutty, Too Loud. And the chapter on the pregnancy performance and how Kim Kardashian rewrote um, pregnancy in public is just Oh, so fascinating. Mm -hmm. I learned so much from that book. Really interested by... Because she goes quite far back. So she says how when Tina Brown, who is the woman after which this podcast is named, when Tina Brown put Demi Moore on the cover of Vanity Fair in 1991, seven months pregnant and naked, she apparently... That was the kind of impetus to rewrite how pregnancy was seen culturally before you were sort of shrouded. You know, mm. now, as soon as it's three months, you tell people, then you'd sort of try and get seven months and be like, oh, this, oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> you know, whilst wearing <laughs> a moo moo. Yeah. And that was the start of that kind of preempted the noughties where someone, I can't remember who it was, and I don't have the book on me, but there was a, she quotes, um, Anne Helen quotes, another cultural critic saying that the pregnancy almost became like a sort of mini bag it was like the hottest accessory where you wore like a crop top and your I don't know juicy couture or whatever under your bump and it became like the cutest hottest thing you could rock that season and there was that spate of celebrities I remember in about so like 2006 2007 it was about 10 to 12 years ago when so many celebrities had children. There was a real... Was, all those celebrities at the time were quite big, like Courtney Cox and Denise Richards, who was married to Charlie Sheen, and mm. there was a whole load of them. And that's when it sort of became this thing for the tabloids and Us Weekly and all those kind of rags, sorry, to um, <laughs> to really realise that the, the pregnant woman was actually this untapped commodity. Yeah, and why God, not? Anyway, it's just... Yeah. It's so up my street. I absolutely loved it. And when you've got through your mountain of books that you've got um i'd love to I'm gonna read to them all next week I'm so excited. <laughs> we're gonna read 100 books next week i am gonna read 100 books next week. okay that's your challenge i've also decided i'm gonna do i'm going on holiday next week listeners which means also sorry to start with a downer but there's not gonna be an episode next week oh yes yeah, sorry i know it seems a bit patchy at the moment we're going to work on that in the future we might be trying to do some specials for when we're away we've worked out how we can have these two sort of holograms that can sit in our no room. no ignore her <laughs> we haven't um i'm gonna do the thing which i've just never done before i'm gonna delete my email icon from my phone for a week do you think that's that will be you just not have control you just can't no i'll go into it, it i'll go no i can't do that just no. don't have your phone on you that you like to do you pictures. think it's too do you think it's a bad idea no emails I just, I, I think you should airplane and turn it on once or twice a day, morning and evening. Because otherwise I'll have three million, won't I? 
Anyway, I'm going to read a lot of books. Dolly's so. very popular. She does have three three million emails. No, it's not um, that. It's mainly all spam. <laughs> but also, can you help me? Because I read a very good piece in The Guardian by John Ronson about um, bespoke porn. And mm. he'd written it to plug his new podcast, The Butterfly Effect. And I went on to Audible, which is Amazon's audiobook service. And I bought, except I got it for free because it was my first ever one. Mm-hmm. I bought The Butterfly Effect. And then I tried to look in my app to listen to it. I have tried everything. I cannot find it. Ollie cannot find it. Why is I'll Audible have a look so at difficult? It I don't know. I also have an extraordinary fact about that series. About the butterfly effect? Yeah. I was with a producer this morning and he has intel. Guess what the budget was for that podcast series? Because it's John Ronson. Um, God, I don't know what podcast budgets are like. Serials must be pretty high. 200k? Half a million. Half a million? I mean... Who put that up for him? Amazon. Oh, Amazon paid for John Ronson to make it. I think so. Yes, it's Amazon. Yeah. Yes, it's going on Audible. Yeah. You can only listen to it on Audible until se- uh, November. And but it's so funny because I'm desperate My to God, listen to it. My God, he's a powerhouse. He's sort of like the new Louis through. I'm desperate to listen to it because I love John Ronson. I think he's yeah, it's an amazing a genius. Book. And I think... Both Pandora and I have listened to one of my favourite podcasts, Guys We Fucked. They did an interview with John Ronson about this new series, which is how I heard about it. I think that was last week's episode, which is a great episode. And it does sound like a great series, and it's a very interesting subject matter. But it's not like a... like. It's not an aesthetic thing. How are you going to hear half a million? Do you know what I mean? It must be the access. They must have paid for It is access. the access, because in his Guardian article, he... Um they're probably funding him for a lot of his time as well. He was meeting all the people that make... Because the porn industry is really suffering, yeah. um, He, they don't have, like, the budgets for these kind of, for, like, assistant directors and all this. Mm-hmm. So now it's about these people that will spend 30 grand on their own dream piece of porn. And they, the, the situations in the Guardian article were, like, insane. There was a man who was paying... John found out he'd been paying for one a year for 10 years... Um, a woman to s- jump on and then set on fire part of his stamp collection. Oh my god! And he was paying thirty to fifty grand a pop for each of that because each time they had to hire like pyrotechnics and firefighters and. <laughs> god, these kinks are so imaginative. Yeah, it's I'm really always... interesting, and lots of it wasn't sexual. One of the ones which really broke my heart, actually, one of the films they'd been asked to make was a girl sitting in her underwear, um, telling someone that their life was worth living and to stay on the earth and though they had real and then they couldn't get hold of the person anymore so they made it anyway without any budget and Mm. sent it and just hoped that if it had been an attempt to stave off suicidal impulses that it had worked so I think it's really interesting because to to misunderstand that as like oh it's just for like weirdos with like sexual fetishes it's just so wrong no it's a very interesting insight into human psyche isn't it but there's um, into what consoles and and comforts you and no one will handle that better than John Ronson because he is so non-judgmental as well as being so so intelligent I read something else an extract from that piece that said that there was one man who had a woman turn and look at a wall in thigh high boots and just read Ulysses (laughs) <laughs> and it reminded me of this amazing short story that I read ages ago, a short story by Woody Allen, where he describes, the story's called The Whore of Mensa, and he describes a certain type of American man who married the beautiful, um, perfect wife who he couldn't have conversation with. So they started, they popped up these like um, intellectual brothels where you'd go and you'd pay a woman to sit in a room with her and talk about like James Joyce or whatever. <laughs> so it's like kind of that come true. 
That's amazing. Yeah. That also reminds me of I heard a new expression for really thick people this week. Denser. Denser. Very good. <laughs> oh, I, like I that. read that somewhere. Um, I actually heard, did you hear at the end of John Ronson's interview, Guys We Fuck? I haven't. I've only got part way through. There's this amazing bit at the end where he's talking about, he's like me, he's a pescatarian, which means he's a fish-eating vegetarian. And he says that real vegetarians call us fish and chipocrites. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. You should put that in your you know, bio. Fish and chipocrites. If you've got, if you've got space, amongst <laughs> the, the slashes. Um, and then I've also been watching this week, that I know quite a few people have been watching it, um, is Top of the Lake. So Top of the Lake was a really um, popular, ser- you know, thriller series that I didn't see the first one. But this one is called Top of the Lake, China Girl. And it stars Elizabeth Moss as the main character. And it's directed mm. by Jane Campion. Mm. And it's set in New Zealand. And it's about a Chinese prostitute called Cinnamon that goes missing. And it's really creepy and brilliant. Um, so when you have time, you should check out the whole series. I love series. Elizabeth Moss. The whole series is on BBC iPlayer. Yeah, she's just killing it. Mm. But it's all on BBC iPlayer, so you can binge oh, great. on the whole I thing. I binge that. What have you been enjoying this week? My culture has been pretty thin on the ground this week, but I'm going to give it a good go. Um, I have been listening to Cheryl Sandberg's Desert Island Disc. Oh, I thought of you. I knew you'd love that one. Emotional, Did you hear it? isn't it? Yeah, I listened to it. Oh, do you know what bit got me? She's gone through it. Oh, she's gone through it. So for anyone who doesn't know her story, obviously she's this amazing, amazing powerhouse of a woman. Uh, she's the COO of Facebook. And she's at Google before then when Google was just a sort of idea yeah and she's now a kind of expert in leadership particularly female leadership she's very inspirational and she um very sadly very tragically lost her husband and father of her children very suddenly um and she's written a book about grief i think it is about Mm. grief isn't it and she she talked about it with kirsty young and it's um it's just so moving and I, I love that she allowed her emotion to be so on the surface as mm. well she didn't try and kind of trample it down um, and there's this bit in it where she's she says it was two weeks after her husband had died and she just sent a message to all her girlfriends who she said she's been friends with since they were very very young and she just said someone come oh it chokes me up and talk about it now and then she said that they all had these busy lives and and, uh, and someone came when she sent it. And she said, and she played um, You're My Best Friend f- uh, for them by Queen. And she said that now every time one of them rings on her phone, that's the. Oh, the that's so lovely. Yeah, it was very moving that bit. I went back and re listened to just that section actually yesterday. Um, it's lovely to hear I've someone. I just realised I obviously didn't get to the end because I'm hearing that <laughs> and you. It's an awful habit with podcasts. Do you find it's very difficult? You arrive at your destination, you go, God, I'm so sorry, let me just turn that off. And then I forget to revisit. Yeah, yeah, um, I know I'm the same. But no, it's um, I've re-listened to it, as I said, because it's also very nice to hear, um, you know, it's lovely to hear on those kind of retrospective programmes of one's life. It's lovely to hear about the great romances and that have, that have saved us or helped us or or inspired us and also the context of our beginnings, our family life. But it's very rare that you hear such dedication in such detail about friendships, particularly female friendships. So I just loved hearing that. Um, because they do carry you through those really difficult moments in life, as we know. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I love that. Um, also, oh God, I've just been crying so much this week because I watched the finale of The Handmaid's Tale as well. Oh, my God, I haven't watched it yet. Oh Jesus! I can't talk about. I mean, it I know, you. I know, I know what happens because I've read the book. But um, okay, yes, go, yeah, I'm going to watch okay, go that. Watch that. We can talk about it when I come back from holiday. Oh, I can't watch it till Friday night. Yeah, okay. It's very moving. It's beautifully done. Music. It's going to be another series, isn't there? Music is used beautifully. They really set up 
the next series amazingly. It's just, it's, I just think it's a masterpiece, that show, and especially that last episode. I read something very interesting about the question of race in The Handmaid's Tale. Oh, yes! Um, did you mention this to me, or someone else mentioned this to me? I don't think I mentioned it to you. So okay, it's on so the gar- it's a Guardian piece. Yeah, this is ringing a bell. Maybe I saw it on Twitter and thought I must go and read that. What did? What's it about? It's basically about how... So I haven't read the book, but it's about how, I think, in Margaret Atwood's dystopia that she set it in it was a completely white world yes, yeah there's no suggestion that it's other than yes that. so margaret atwood worked closely with the team that created the adaptation for television because obviously diversity is a really important thing and they were like we can't show that we don't want to show that world i think she was quite open to yes, them she changing. Was. Yeah, yeah yeah but then it just it brought up this very interesting question that i'm always really wrestling with how do you show a world that's racist without and brings and brings up those racist. those crucial questions of racism without whitewashing television i Do know see what i mean yeah 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 so it's and like, i think they made the right decision with that yeah is that the latter was more important to avoid yes. than the former was to enforce exactly and that the televisual medium added so many interesting and terrifying layers to yeah. Margaret Atwood's story that they could lose that without yeah. losing but she apparently was and you'd think you know she's this is a legendary book it came out 30 years ago she's mm. really old now you you I would imagine she could be a real old grouch about it sort of like E.L. James was on, on the set yeah, of yeah. 50 Shades times 100 and apparently she has been totally the opposite she's the one kind of working the screenwriters trying to think how it could develop for series mm. two mm. she's completely open to the interpretation of it which I think is super classy some still feel and I understand that there is still a a lack of diversity on that show yeah I can only think of well okay so um, there's the best friend and the husband aren't white and the second um, is it of Glenn the second no not of Glenn the second um, after Alexis Bledel dies she gets a new friend mm. who she walks with. Yeah. I can't remember what her I name mean, is. I mean, we're still racking our brain. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah, it's yeah, still yeah. a minority. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. I was just trying to think of how many central characters. Yeah. But it's just a very interesting question because I've always thought about that as well, particularly in the context of um, someone who creates like Ricky Gervais, who always says that he holds up these characters that behave badly, like David Brent or the Derek stuff or whatever, and saying, I'm showing you characters yeah. that are racist or that are sexist or that are whatever. And by showing you these characters, I'm raising awareness that. However, these even since he, when did he create the office? Ten years ago. Longer, yeah. Think how much has changed in that time. Yeah. Think how the com- the conversation around race is much more audible. It's, yes. it's much more visible. But I think it's more like is that layer of like detachment where it's like oh we're actually laughing at the man that's really racist yeah I think that's getting harder to do is that because I understand that and I think that it throws it into relief and it raises awareness but other people I think I think it would in general yes I think it would I think it would largely Mm. get lost yeah Anyway, it's a very yeah, it's a agreed. beautiful program, and it was a very interesting article. As always, we will put that. In my the, my mum, who hasn't read the book, the other day was like, "Oh my god, when's the Handmaid's Tale going to end?" And I was like, "You know, you don't have to watch it." She was like, <laughs> "It's so weird. I mean, what's even going on?" And I was like, "Mum, I just don't think this one's for you." <laughs> no, I mean it's very intense. I was like, "Just dystopian." She was like, "What?" <laughs> oh my god, does she think it was like real life? No, I just, you know, it, 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 it's just not. I just think there's stuff that my seventy-year-old mum understands and 
enjoys more. I don't know why that just made me think of, I was talking to Farley once about Desert Island Discs. I told you this. It's about people getting the wrong end of the stick at the stuff. And at the end of an episode, she went, God, I just don't know how they afford to do this. Oh, did she think they'd gone to an island to record it? <laughs> she thinks they actually send them off, like, on holiday for a week. <laughs> She's like, it must be a huge expense for the BBC. <laughs> um, I also read in this week's Sunday Times magazine the most extraordinary piece about the assassination I, of Kim Jong-un's half I've got it in my bag, again, halfway through. I know. What did buckle they up, on his buckle face? Buckle up for that one. I know. Any, it's For anyone who doesn't know the story, this man was walking through Kuala Lumpur. This man, incidentally, is the North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un's half-brother. Half he was walking through an, a Malaysian airport. Two young women came up to him, smeared two substances on his face. And then 15 minutes later, he was dead. And they think it's this type of um, gas where even if you smell yeah. one drop... You're dead. You have we, but, but that's what they can't oh, understand. No. They're like, how could the assailants... How were, how, how were the young girls yeah. fine? To my total shame, I, I really do have a bit of a black hole of knowledge about North Korea. And I went down a bit of a North Korea research it's, hole on the internet on Sunday. It, it, I find it so depressing reading about North Korea because we just have no idea what censorship is like in some of these places and just that the quality of life and the threat that is always over you um, for being anything other than what the state dictates mm. is just like utterly terrifying. It's so me. funny. Cause and, I, you, and, and you know what? Like this, I felt it was a real indicator to how culturally accepted it is that it's a fucking terrifying place to live. Mm. Is that in the will of King Jong-un's Father, so King Jong Un, obviously being the supreme leader, and his father being the supreme leader before him, he'd actually specified that the half brother should not be oh, assassinated no. yeah. because otherwise it's like a given that at some point you'll just slay off your own half brother. Well, in this piece, it's the Sunday Times piece is very good because it's very rigorous and thorough. It's an expert who's written it on North Korea, but it also, for you know, idiots like me, it also explains very clearly. Um, the, the astonishing barbarity of everything and mm. they say they liken it to a sort of Game of Thrones you know? yes and they do they this say Game kind of Thrones of, has got nothing on yeah, North they, Korea's history they do this kind of family tree at the end which is really helpful it's just for someone who this is a subject I'd like to know much more on it's it's a very good place to start I think this piece that's the Sunday Times magazine last week the cover story it was brilliant yeah, it was very, very good. I'd also like to take a moment. I've had lots of run-ins, quite literally, with listeners in the last week, and I'd like to say hello to them. The first person I'd like to shout out to is a lovely woman called Bex, who I did a panel event a couple of nights ago at the Groucho Club, and there was an interval halfway through, and a large cold glass of wine was just shoved into my hand. And I turned around, it was this very charming woman, and she said, I always swore to myself that if I ever met your Pandora in real life, I'd buy you a drink. Oh, that's so lovely. She was just lovely, and we had a great chat, and she said she had a very bad breakup, and she was very sweetly said that the podcast really helped her get through that time. Good. So I'd like to say hello to her. I'd also like to say hello to Gemma, who came up and spoke to me on the way to the podcast record last week to tell me how much she liked it. So hello, Gemma. And Pandora and I would also like to say hello and apologise to a woman who... Jumped us. say accosted. Jumped <laughs> us. Pandora and I were walking through Belsize Park 
uh, on an evening last week and this woman just ran after us and then sort of touched Pandora and Pandora thought she was being mugged and the whole thing was really traumatic and she was just trying to tell us she liked the show. I'm very, very jumpy, especially since the Soho House incident. If you Mm. didn't listen to that episode, you don't deserve to know the horrifying (laughs) anecdote. And so I did jump a million miles. Um, But thank you so much. Probably top tip, I'm best in front where I can see you like a horse. She doesn't like being approached from behind. In all scenarios. (laughs) Oh dear, it's gone very loose, women. Um, We've... As ever, had some lovely emails in the inbox. We just wanted to read this one out because it was such a nice response. Um, It's in reference to the woman who was worried about having never had a boyfriend and never fancying anyone sort of really Mm. properly or not having any sexual experience. We had tons of responses to this question. Some people really disagreed with mine and Dolly's response, to which we say, very sorry, we are not experts. It's only ever our emotional response that we hope can be helpful and we hope we'll shed some light from experience. And also that, you know, we do want to... It's coming from our our experience and our anecdotes and and what we... what, what we know about women and what and we, yeah and what we felt and what we've seen with our friends and whatever and we always will send on all the other advice that we get from listeners as well to the original writer of the dilemma or question yeah so they get a nice well-rounded answer yes um but to the listener who did ask the question you should be consoled by the fact that a lot of women wrote in and said a bunch this yeah. is me yeah um so i'm just going to read it out Hi Dolly and Pandora, thank you for your ongoing podcasting excellence. One of the emails you got last episode really resonated with me, the one from the girl who hasn't had much sex or a relationship and is worried about it. I have something to say that I hope she might find helpful. I felt very similarly for a very long time. I had a couple of boyfriends before I went to uni and I did have sex with them, but once I got to uni, I didn't have sex for four years. Not one snog, let alone a shag. I even had a year in Paris, capital of romance, nothing. At the time, I couldn't understand it. I fancied some guys. Some of them seemed to fancy me back, but nothing ever happened. It made me really unhappy. I felt like it wasn't what I should be doing. It didn't fit into the narrative of what I felt my life should be. No doubt because of countless rom-coms, sex in the city, Gossip Girl, the OC. But six years on, in a very happy and um, sexy long-term relationship (laughs) after some excellent dating adventures, I can see exactly why the reasons I didn't have sex at uni, and they were all to do with me, just me, and no one else. Though I very much claimed to be, I wasn't confident in my body. I was overwhelmed with work, even though I claimed not to be. I had a group of friends who were the in crowd, but not real proper pals. With hindsight, I can see that given all of the above, not having sex and not being in a relationship was actually right for me at that time, whether or not I knew it. In fact, a few years later, I bumped into a guy I'd fancied madly at a party. We got talking about why we'd never got together, and he said, you just seem totally shut off from the idea, entirely uninterested was so interesting to me society's concept of how much we should all be shagging particularly in our early 20s is so insidious and shit it completely discounts anything else that might be happening in your life and distorts it all too just look at gabby and marcel in love island no really because they didn't have sex for the perfectly understandable reason that she didn't want to shag on telly people began to doubt their relationship but the thing about sexual desire is that it's, it's, it is ephemeral. It is tricky. It ebbs. It flows. It's affected by other things. None of us are ever taught that. Patience is key. There might be things going on that you can't quite see yet. But just because society says that this is what we should all be doing doesn't mean that you should be doing it. Concentrate on yourself and making your own life. The rest will all follow. So with you on that Gabby and Marcel point. Really interesting the way that their relationship was somehow devalued because they weren't bonking on telly. 
That was a lovely email. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, really much. lovely. Really interesting. As always, you can email us show at gmail.com. Support for the Hilo comes from our rather chic sponsor, NARS. This week, I would like to talk about one of the many NARS products you can find in mine and Pandora's makeup bags, which is the Power Matte Lip Pigment. The lip pigments launched on August 1st, exclusive to Selfridges, along with the new Precision Lip Liners, which we will be diving into next week. They're all named after classic rock songs. I absolutely love this. One is called London Calling, the Clash song, and one is called Paint It Black, the brilliant Rolling Stones song. They have that gorgeous dry matte finish, but are super comfortable. They come in 20 shades, even black, but personally, I'm sticking with just what I needed, which is a very pretty burnished rose color. They are yours for £23 from Selfridges. NARS is offering Hilo listeners two deluxe travel-sized freebies when they make a purchase online at narscosmetics.co.uk. Simply type in the code HILO, that's H-I-L-O-W, all one word, at the checkout and you will receive a mini audacious mascara and mini velvet matte lip pencil in Dolce Vita, one of their best-selling pinky nude shades. I love this shade, it's really pretty and subtle and I also love the name, it must be very fun coming up with all these names at NARS Towers. Thank you very much to NARS. And now for the top line, 10 bits of news read to you by Dolly Alderton. This week's top line news, it comes courtesy of a listener's suggestion that I have passed on to DJ CJ and uh, he responded very well to. my favourite news story of the year. Pub bosses have apologised after asking a group of trainee priests to leave their Cardiff venue, mistaking them for a stag party in fancy dress. (laughs) The seven Roman Catholic seminarians had gone to the city arms to toast Father Peter McLaren's ordination when they were asked to move on. Father Michael Doyle said, the doorman basically said something along the lines of, sorry gents, we have a policy of no fancy dress and no stag do's. White House Communications Director Anthony Scaramucci has been fired after fewer than 10 days in the post. The former Wall Street financier was criticised after calling a reporter to give a profanity-laced tirade against his own colleagues. The US President hailed a great day at the White House. Two weeks after BuzzFeed published a catalogue of damning allegations against R. Kelly and his alleged sex ring, the singer has cancelled multiple dates on his latest tour. Reports suggest that the cancelled shows, two in Louisiana, one in Dallas and one in LA, have been scrapped due to low ticket sales. Serena Williams has written a powerful essay calling for equal pay for black women. To mark Black Women's Equal Pay Day in the US, the tennis star posted an article for Fortune magazine titled How Black Women Can Close the Pay Gap. In it, she says the gender pay gap hits women of colour the hardest. Growing up, I was told I couldn't accomplish my dreams because I was a woman and more so because of the colour of my skin. She also calls for dedicated action, legislation, employer recognition and courage for employees to demand more. After a long court battle, controversial campaigning and international media coverage, Charlie Gard, the 11-month-old baby who suffered a rare genetic condition, has died. Tributes have flooded in from public figures around the world in regards to the tragic case. His death leaves many questions of ethics regarding life support. A primary school teacher who has watched a live stream of a six-year-old boy being raped has been jailed. 43-year-old Wayne Brooks from Weston Supermare watched the abuse alongside 45 other paedophiles online. 
Boots has issued an apology, stating it is truly sorry for its poor choice of words when responding to calls to cut the cost of one of its morning after pills. The pharmaceutical company was criticised after telling the British Pregnancy Advisory Service it was avoiding incentivising inappropriate use. It now says it is looking for cheaper alternatives to the Levenel brand. New research published at Nottingham Trent University has found that puppies have stroppy Kevin the teenager phases too. (laughs) Research published in the Journal of Veterinary Behaviour has discovered that they hit their difficult adolescent period at around eight months. It's good news for bargain hunters. Aldi's Oliver Cromwell London Dry Gin has been awarded as one of the best gins in the world. The tipple, priced at 9.97, was awarded with a gold medal at the International Wine and Spirits Challenge, beating Foxhole London Dry Gin, which is sold at nearly £40 a bottle. And it's bad news for the workies this week. A study by the Institute for Social and Economic Research at the University of Essex has found that three years after graduating, the majority of ex-students doing unpaid internships will actually be worse off than those who went straight into a paying job. Have you seen the meme that's going around about Anthony Scaramucci? It's with Macaulay Don- Culkin. It's no, it's it's Donald Trump and, and Scaramucci, and it says how to lose a guy in ten days. <laughs> um, which oh my is, god! Which is really good. Um, on the subject so of Serena good. Williams, there's actually a chapter on her in um, Too Fat, Too Slutty, Too Loud. I always get the title of that book wrong <laughs> that I was talking about earlier in the podcast. But there's a, there's a really interesting um, essay on her in the book can I just say Boots I was so fucking unimpressed with that whole thing they've still missed the point they're looking for a cheaper alternative to Levenel instead of augmenting the fee it it is 28.99 it's not incentivising bad it's uh, I feel really strongly about that um and the last and very sad one is Charlie God um I have really mixed feelings on this but above anything else um I was really, really saddened to see how much abuse Great Ormond Street Mm. got for that. And it Mm. also cost them half a million fighting that case. And Mm. I can't help but think what that half a million could have have gone on anyway. Thoughts and prayers with the family because it's a very complicated um, situation. But yeah, no, there's, there's a lot of... I've read a lot of very interesting pieces on it and I think some people have been very brave to write what they have because we... I think when it comes to death and grief, because death is such an overwhelming and terrifying it's thing, sacred, yeah. we we have a slight issue with not looking at the ramifications around it, and you know the fact that Great Ormond Street were doing their job and have now lost a lot of money and have been really damaged by this case, and a lot of people wrote very brave things in defence of the hospital. So I think it's good to see a rounded response to it. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Onto something else that made me hopping mad, as Dolly likes to say. <laughs> Channel 4's decision to use Princess Diana's private tapes in their documentary, which is airing this Sunday, the 6th of August, called Diana in Her Own Words. It's not in her own words, though, which really annoys me. I think that's such a douche move. 
it's her own words taken out of context, which means that your words are completely... <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> like saying, that's like a hacking scandal, saying, well, it's in your own words. It's like taking something I said 15 years yeah. ago and then completely repackaging and saying, well, you said it. Pandora, <laughs> in her own words, yeah. Um, did you watch the Diana, Our Mother documentary? No, I want to. I want to watch that. And then I want to watch the documentary about Jay-Z and Kanye West. Oh my God, I'd love On that. Channel 4. It looks amazing. Have you watched it, CJ? Is it only average? Hmm. Sorry, well, You're allowed on, we'll, it's okay. No, 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 we'll no we're, we're, Charlie, we're giving I, you permission to speak. I found it very interesting because there's loads I didn't know about it, but I knew a lot of Jay-Z and Kanye fans that know a lot about the story anyway and just said that was shit. Well, I've got to say, I don't think me and Pandora are academics on the subjects of Jay-Z <laughs> and Kanye. Yourself, so I think we'll learn a lot along the way. Anyway, back to Diana. Yes, um, no, I must watch it. Was it very emotional? You got all those photos from me. Oh, yes, yes, you were crying whilst watching it. You're right, I did. I get a lot of content from you, Dolly. I don't always remember it. I got very upset watching it. It was very, yeah, I'm not very moving. And it was, it was, it's the two, her two sons, the two princes, going through photo albums of these photos, family photos um, of them that you, you've never seen before. And, and it's them, they just are, adore their mother they just adore I've never quite seen it so clearly and they just said she was had the most wicked sense of humour and that she was kind of the naughtiest mum in the playground and that they had this they were really thick as thieves and she just sounds like an amazing you know she was obviously a, a flawed woman as we all are but there, she just sounds like a, like someone who really took to motherhood and really loved it and there's like this one bit in it that I love so much that Prince William said that he was about 12 years old, 13 years old. So he was just started getting interested in girls and whatever. And he had pictures of all like 90 supermodels around his room at Eton. And he said that, he, that when he came back home one day, Diana had organised for Christy Turlington, Cindy Crawford, and I think Naomi Campbell to all stand outside his bedroom. <laughs> Oh my god! And talk about talk about using your position. <laughs> no, and he said that he just walked up. She laughed in hysterics, and he went completely red and just ran out of the house. That's amazing. I just loved it. it just was a lovely, lovely portrait of what family, what she was like as a woman within a family. And yeah, it was very moving. It was beautifully done. Yeah, I mean, there's absolutely loads of Diana. Um, content sorry to use that word again out there at the moment because obviously it's 20 years since she died so there's been um the reissuing of the diana chronicles by tina brown with a forward by andrew marr who then wrote some interesting pieces of journalism around it there's been that documentary which i'm yet to watch there's channel four's one on sunday um there's been all sorts of um i think there was an exhibition of her fashion wasn't there and lots of sort of articles on what she was wearing and stuff like that um Channel 4 have defended their decision to use these tapes, saying that it is in the public's interest to know what is on these tapes. Um, just for anyone that doesn't know, the tapes come from Peter Settleton, who Diana hired in 1992-1993. He was a speech coach. She hired him to help reinvent herself, as it were, post-divorce. And she was incredibly honest about everything with him. Um, and he's handed those over. Anyway, Ralph Lee, the commissioning editor of Factual at Channel 4, said, this film gives Diana a voice and plays places it front and centre at a time when the nation will be reflecting on her life and death. It's her account of events, both private and public, and is an important contribution to the historical record. That includes, incidentally, according to various excerpts I read in the papers last weekend, Diana lamenting their lack of sex life and saying it used to be once every three weeks and fizzled out. She talks about her bulimia, which I found heartbreaking. She said... 
I said I could have gone to alcohol, which would have been more obvious. I could have been anorexic, which would have been even more obvious. I decided to do the more discreet thing, which ultimately wasn't discreet, but I chose to hurt myself instead of hurting all of you. I'm sure there will be a wide audience who will thoroughly enjoy these salacious revelations. But just because there's an appetite for it does not mean that they are in the public's interest. Mm. On what level do we deserve to know about the quality or quantity of Charles and Diana's sex lives? We know they both had affairs. It's been documented everywhere by every biographer. Do we need to know, like, the minutiae of how that was conducted? Some people would argue that she entered into a contract with the media. This is, you know, she courted the press. She wanted that attention. You know, on one hand, when I was watching the documentary that's presented by the princes, it's very, very upsetting. There's this one bit where she says, they say that she had struck a deal with the press and she said she was taking her sons on holiday, on a skiing holiday, and she said, we'll do one photo call, you'll get some lovely pictures, and then you've got to leave us alone, my boys have got to have a holiday. Obviously, they didn't respect their side of the bargain, and then it's just endless footage of her coming up to these photographers saying, please, 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 just leave us alone. Um, And obviously that's heartbreaking, that's very upsetting to watch. But then equally I think back to, and I hate saying his name on this podcast, he is like Voldemort on this podcast, but I think back to Piers Morgan's Desert Island Discs and he had this friendship with Diana and he tells a story that a young Prince William once said to him, why do the newspapers hate mummy? And he said, well, what he didn't know is that his mother used to ring me up with stories to tip me off. The contract she had with the media, and she had a problematic relationship with them for sure, and both sides exploited the other, is long gone because she's dead and she's Mm. been dead for a long time Mm. and she's had her legacy milked for a long time. Those private tapes were sought out. They were not volunteered by those that love her. They Mm. were handed over by a former speech coach who was in her life for a year, had absolutely no loyalty or love for her. Um, Her friends have all been begging for their dismissal. I read a really interesting piece on The Independent saying that we need to dissolve the monarchy, not for our sake, but for theirs. And this is a quote. If you think that the royal family's existence is unthreatening and you derive a bit of nostalgia and patriotic pleasure out of its existence and you buy into the myth that they bring in more money than they take out, then you should at least take the time to consider what the people inside it actually say about it. Think about what Prince Harry meant when he said earlier this year that no one in the royal family wants to be king or queen. Think about him pleading with the media to leave his partner Meghan Markle alone. Think about his description of his mother's funeral, which he attended when he was just 12 years old, writes Holly Baxter. I don't want to abolish the monarchy, but I do think it's virtually impossible for them to have private lives or even much of a life anymore to their own. Mm. I think every time I see the Daily Mail making an entire front cover out of Princess Charlotte having a toddler tantrum and Kate trying and being sort of embarrassedly trying to discreetly discipline mm. her, they're not even allowed to have children who have tantrums or it's like plastered across the paper. They're, they are not allowed an interior life at all. The most telling moment for me with this documentary that's presented by the princes, I've forgotten the name, it's on ITV, I think it's called Diana, Our Mother. Um, the most telling moment is he is someone who has these rock-solid boundaries in place with the media. And I think from what I've gathered from interviews I've read, I've read with him, he is very, his eyes are open in terms of how his mother got herself into some situations Um with the press and he said that she should never have let them in so much and there's this amazing moment in it where both the boys are talking about how after their parents divorced they had to spend so much time um, 
apart from each parent and that so much time was spent talking on the phone and that's why they hated the phone because they just wanted to be with their mum or their dad and they had to be on the phone and they said they hadn't seen their mother I think for a long time on the day that she died she called them and they speak very movingly about how they wish if they'd known that was the last call they would have stayed on for much longer or whatever and then the interviewer says to Prince William do you remember what you said in that last conversation and he just says yes and smiles and then shuts up and he won't say anything and at that point it's like you see that that's something that he has learnt and that's why people accuse him of being boring but you can completely see why he's put that system in place so he he puts a boundary that they're allowed this amount and that's it I'd also say that he just has the classic royal reticence which the entire royal family has and Princess Diana just didn't have but yeah he's, he's famous about that privacy I mean we've talked about it on the podcast before when he did his GQ cover interview a few months ago and he absolutely admits that Diana was fallible and foolhardy with the media and that he wished heartbreakingly that they had been able to protect her What I find really problematic is that we live in the time of celebrity ownership, and I talk about this a lot. Um, Sometimes I joke about the fact that I think celebrities are humans, and sometimes I mean really sincerely that we don't own celebrities and we don't deserve to know everything about everyone. Unfortunately, many celebrities provide this kind of fodder. Look at Rob Kardashian and Black China, as recently discussed on The Hilo. They broke up and then he shared intimate pictures and a caption by caption breakdown of how they broke up on social media. And that gives the idea that everyone is kind of privy to this level of introspection about every single celebrity's life, role or otherwise. But we have to be able to separate what is willingly put out there and what is not. And I think just because there's interest in these tapes, of course there's interest. She was the most famous woman Mm. in the world. But it doesn't mean that these tapes are in the public interest. And to take that quote, in the public interest, does not mean, will the public be interested? But is it of value to all involved that this knowledge is imparted? Mm. And is it valuable culturally, society, sort of politically... Is it knowledge we're entitled to? The answer is absolutely no. We seem to think we are entitled to this kind of knowledge. But it will cause interminable hurt and open up old, humiliating wounds. And I think Channel 4 needs to look at how they respond to our ravenous celebrity culture. And they need to take a long, hard look in the mirror about the responsibilities they feel as a broadcaster. They need to set the tone. They need to guide the public. It's like, to use a very crude and crass sort of parallel example... The only way that um, low economic households are going to stop buying so much sugary crap to feed children is if the supermarkets make healthier foodstuffs the same price. So, you know, to look at Channel 4, they should be setting the cultural and ethical tone Mm. that we as the consumer are then following. You don't go, oh, well, the public wants to know it, so we're going to give it. And if they are, then frankly, they should not have the authority that they have. How is the public meant to respect boundaries if influential broadcasters are offering them everything with no compunction on a juicy plate? I think part of the ravenous hunger that people have when it comes to the Diana stuff is, I'm referring back to John Ronson, who we mentioned earlier, wrote this book about public shaming. And something that he talks about very well is how we have entered into a time where people are absolutely obsessed with binary terms of whether people are goodies or baddies. And it's like, you are either your best day or your worst day and nothing else. And 
that idea of a spectrum of a human being human, that someone can have affairs and also had been very in love with their husband, that someone can have courted the media but also been very hurt and damaged by media intrusion. Think about how we looked at the McCanns. It was like either they were these middle-class secret swingers who killed their child or they were these incredible Catholic doctors and there was no space at all for them to just be humans. And I think that's the problem that we face with the Diana thing. I think people are desperate on this kind of forensic investigation to find out was she a goodie or a baddie and the answer was she was just a woman like you or I. For me, it's less about that because I think we know that they didn't both have affairs whilst remaining deeply in love. There was not much... The more I read about it, there wasn't a huge amount of love there almost from the beginning. It was a very, very complicated, not very happy marriage. But um, regardless of whether or not she's seen seen as good and bad or, or flawed, and I think by now it is obvious to see that Diana, of course, was a flawed human, it's more just that we know all this already. We don't need a blow-by-blow, in her own words, account of how flawed she was. And I just think, imagine your deepest, darkest secrets going out Mm. to the world, your diary. I mean, I can't deny that I haven't enjoyed reading about Diana and Charles's marriage. It was this huge pop culture time, apart from, you know, it being a key part of British history. And there's that amazing interview she did with Martin Bashir and there's all these video clips from it including there were three of us in this marriage you know which she says with very slowly with this kind of coy eye but I draw the line at these tapes I but think that was to... on her terms as well she decided she did it and arguably yeah. still manipulating the media however as we've said that doesn't mean that you then pay the price beyond the grave of mm-hmm. having everyone who loved you drive through the dirt um yeah, I think we have to draw a fucking line somewhere. I'm just disgusted by Channel 4. If anyone listens to this who works at Channel 4, hope you're disgusted by your employer too because it's really unethical. The royal family are not on Love Island. They did not mic themselves up for life and have sex on live TV. So it's not a game and we need to respect differing formats and differing solutions and what people offer of their interior lives and what people work very, very hard to keep private. It's not one size fits all with celebrity culture. And I think as we have this increasingly polarising, you either put absolutely everything out there or nothing's out there. You, you just, we need to allow people to be selective about what's appropriate to be in the public forum. And I don't care if they are the royal family and life's so fucking great for them because to be honest, it does not look so great looking in. <laughs> The Hilo is sponsored by Sainsbury's Home. Sainsbury's Home prides itself on delivering high quality products at high street prices. Sainsbury's Home has a dedicated in-house design team of 14 that includes expert creatives from all across the design industry and 80% of their product is designed in-home. Customers can shop for Sainsbury's Homewares in over 400 stores nationwide and over a third of people can access Sainsbury's full non-food offer within a 15-minute drive. As Sainsbury's Home likes to say, it's the little things that turn a house into a home. Dolly, I know that you are particularly obsessed with Sainsbury's Home's Moroccan Luxe range. Have you ordered anything for your new home from Sainsbury's Home? I have. I got the gold cutlery set and I've only had a few dinner guests. Oh yes, how did it go without a table? (laughs) The table's finally in. But they all loved my gold cutlery, so thank you very much, Sainsbury's Home. Thank you, Sainsbury's Home, making Dolly happy in her new home. (laughs) Celebrity Big Brother is back and it's bigger than ever. No, it's not. It's smaller than ever, obviously. <laughs> the lineup includes Sarah Harding, instantly my favourite of all of the girls allowed. Can you name the other girls allowed? Nadine Coyle, 
Cheryl Cole, Kimberly, Nicole. Okay, fine, carry on board. I think that's all of them, isn't it? Probably. Girls Allowed Bingo. I just wondered. Um, there's Paul Denan, our producer Charlie's favourite from his Mastermind Specialist subject, the original series of Love Island 11 years ago. Sean Williamson, who is the sort of pearl in the Big Brother crown this year, which uh, you may know him as Barry from EastEnders. Derek Acora, who I'm pretty obsessed with. He speaks to um, ghosts. Helen Lederer. <laughs> Helen Lederer, he's on Most Haunted. He's very funny. Helen Lederer, who's a comedian, and then I'm not—I re- don't really know the rest. Um, and then there are the meta stars. So there's Sandy from Gogglebox, who I've also oh, I just, do know her. I've also just learned is Naomi Campbell's cousin. <laughs> and then there's Sam Thompson from Made in Chelsea. Oh, I know who he is too. Yeah, Louise's brother. So this is really reality TV eating itself. I do find it very funny when people from one reality Jump from TV... Jump format to format. Because yeah. that's their career now. That's what's yeah. so goddamn worrying. There was this, the actual career. There was this very strange moment when I was making a reality show years ago and we were at a festival filming. It was like for a constructed reality thing. And we were filming these people and then in the back of shot with some of the cast of TOWIE and they ran into our shot to hug our cameramen because they because the cameramen had worked on tie. I was like, this is just too... Too this meta. Is, this is too meta. Poor old celebrity big brother. I mean, following right in the wake of Love Island and its monstrous success. Mm. I didn't watch Love Island, but I do think it's changed everything in terms of those kind of rigged fly-on-the-wall shows. It's It feels like it's really raised the bar tonally I think you missed a trick not watching Love Island no. as it's a crucial part of the reality TV canon and it's really upped the ante and my feels is that it was so successful because it reintroduced authentic emotion which I think has been long forgotten from reality TV and I'm sorry to diss your former career on a scripted reality TV programme but for me the problem with reality TV is that it's so scripted and I just loved I loved Love Island because there was no script it's so funny I always forget Celebrity Big Brother is still going and then up pops Barry from EastEnders kind of waving at these crowds saying that he's going to shake things up and I'm like oh there it is there's Celebrity Big Brother it's back I think the real question is how is Celebrity Big Brother or just Big Brother proper still going Big Brother proper is not still going is it, it? Is, yeah. is it Jesus Christ talk about flogging a dead horse why is it that reality TV producers are so reluctant to admit when a series is done do you think they saw the Fast and the Furious franchise and thought we have to get more <laughs> double figures from them <laughs> Dolly what's your professional opinion of Celebrity Big Brother in its format as a professional ex-reality producer Thing is, it's, I think sometimes I think it's amazing Celebrity Big Brother's still going and then sometimes I think well it's not at all because <laughs> Celebrity Big Brother has offered some of the best moments of reality TV of all time there was the first ever series which is like seminal of Celebrity Big Brother where they, they all went completely mad with Claire Sweeney and Vanessa Feltz and Vanessa Feltz completely had lost her mind she had a meltdown Feltz melts Charlie's nodding furiously do you remember that and she started um writing these sort of mad things all over the walls. Um, And then there's that incredible moment where Leo Sayer, the sort of one-hit wonder singer, got very upset that he was expected to wash his underpants in in public. So he broke out of the diary room. Um, There was the awful bathos of the David Guest, David Bowie death mix-up and... Darren Day running in to check his pulse to see if he was still alive, which is obviously now tragic, seeing David Guest did sadly pass away. Um, but as a template, I think it works because you get these bizarre, unlikely friendships. Like Ollie Locke is now 
very, very good friends with Lionel Blair. You know, that's like a real life friendship, which I just love. But I also think it works because it puts the worst celebrity behaviour under the microscope. Desperation, delusion and ego. And that's just very interesting and very funny to watch. And it's why it was used as the crescendo at the end of... um, Extras is the finale when Andy Millman, that character, goes into Celebrity Big Brother because it is it is a platform that really distills celebrity culture of the last 15 years. I think in its heyday, I agree, there was something so powerful about that, but I think it's more just like the calibre of the people they got on now. It's just, it's all people who want that... Excuse me, buy from EastEnders. Warholian five minutes of fame or run out of money and the tragicness of it just like galls me too much to even watch it. And I remember when Big Brother launched and it was just this absolutely revolutionary, pioneering thing. It was culturally jaw-dropping, a bit like when we got email or Instagram, but it just feels tireder than a bingo wing on a 90 year old aerobics teacher now compared to when big brother first launched i just i bet everyone can remember where they were when they first saw it mm. i was on holiday with loads of family friends and we were all crowded around the telly we were so invested i used to watch the 24-hour coverage when the evening episodes went on my sister would just come into the room and i'd be sitting there watching the chickens and those early <laughs> contest- contestants are still household names mm. nikki graham was on channel 5's in therapy this week um nasty nick craig the roofer Stu and michelle in those early halcyon days of sex on tv when she gave him a blowjob under the table was it that's it yeah yeah nice <laughs> and Craig the roofer went on to have a, a very prosperous career on a building show on home makeover shows yeah yeah without a doubt my favorite clip of, on reality tv of all time um came from Celebrity Big brother was the time Ivana Trump um was on and she there was this very funny very clever task that was set where Ivana was taken into the diary room and Big Brother told her that she had won an international award, Woman of the Year, and she didn't question it at all and she was told that she explicitly had beat Martha Stewart (laughs) and she was so pleased with this achievement and then the rest of the house was told that this was a completely fake award and there's this amazing moment where she comes out like jubilantly shouting, Guys, I won! I won! We watched it on the TV. They showed us it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Brilliant. Marta Stewart, she must be fuming by now. <laughs> Can we just pause to remember that the President of the United States' ex wife was watched <laughs> once on Britain's Celebrity Big Brother. In fact, that was a pretty amazing lineup that year. I think it was 2010. It was actually better in retrospect than it was live. Ivana Trump. Vinnie Jones, Cisco from Thong for Thong Thong Thong, Alex Reed, Heidi Fleiss, for anyone who has forgotten, I was really um, fascinated by this story, obviously. Heidi Fleiss was the Hollywood madam who supplied prostitutes to celebrities. That was a golden year. Mm. Um, who would be your dream lineup? I'm going to give you a few minutes to think about that. I'll okay, I'll, I'll go, I'll have a think. So mine would be, of course, Sarah Ferguson, Duchess of York, <laughs> Christopher Biggins, again, <laughs> the Gallagher brothers. Kate Moss, mm. Lynn Barber, <laughs> Lindsay Lohan, Ooh. and Ringo Starr. Lindsay Lohan and Kate Moss would be drinking the 
bleached from behind the loo. Um, Who's it yours to be? Lynn Barber, Kate Moss and the Gallagher brothers would work pretty well, I think. I'm <laughs> unsure how Fergie would fit in. I think she'd just look quite baffled by the whole thing. I think she'd chain smoke in the rain outside, like, just on her own. You know I think her and Kate Moss would get on quite well. <laughs> I think they would. Um, Game okay, of birds. Mine would be um, Johnny Depp. Ooh. Olivia Coleman. Very good, yeah. Mark Zuckerberg. Mm. Mick Jagger. He'd be grumpy and funny, yeah. Ivanka Trump. Giselle. Camilla Long and Judy Dench. Camilla Long would be very good. I actually, I think, I just think Camilla Long and Ivana Trump would be amazing. <laughs> and I also want to see Johnny Depp try and talk to Mark Zuckerberg. Um, and then Olivia Coleman and Judy Dench would just be sort of heavenly. But I'd actually rather have a Gallagher in there than Mick Jagger, as I'm scared that Mick's a bit too PR trained for CBB. But you've stolen them both. If he was alive, Roald Dahl would be in there for the storytelling. And if oh, she yeah. was alive, Ina Blyton would be in there too. I know the teams who work behind these shows, one of them is my very close friend, and I know they work so, so hard, particularly on tasks, to keep it fresh, not only for the viewer, but for for the housemates as well. Because the problem is that everyone is so wise to the formats. It's like um, it's like on The X Factor, when they, you feel like there's almost like a handbook in the edit suite where there are certain songs with certain key chains. You raise me up! <laughs> I don't think the end is here yet for Big Brother. Sadly not. Well, I'll be very sad to say goodbye to Celebrity Big Brother. So I've done some research to end this segment um, into the weirdest reality TV shows from around the world. In Norway, there was um, a live knitting reality show. (laughs) Zambia, there was one called From Working Girl to Wife. Oh, Yeah, that's as you think. In Pakistan, there was a holiday baby giveaway. (laughs) And Australia, virginity for sale. Uh, let's not forget that Britain had one of the weirdest with that sex in a box nonsense. And can we also just take a moment to pay homage to Punked, Ashton Kutcher's brainchild, Love which that. had some epic moments, including my favourite, Justin Timberlake bursting into tears and calling his mum when he was told that the IRS agents were repossessing everything he owned because he owed $90,000 in unpaid taxes. <laughs> Google the clip of that, it's amazing. <laughs> I'm still holding out for Ringo and Limbarber. It's now time for Ask the Hilo. Just one question this week. Take it away, Dolly. This one made me very sad, this email, because it felt like it could have been written by me a few years ago. Dear Dolly and Pandora, I would love some advice on a problem I've always had that has been getting progressively worse over the last year or so. I've always been what my mum would describe as too sensitive, and over the last 18 months, it's got so much worse. I've had to stop listening to the news as it was making me extremely upset. If I pass by a homeless person without helping them, I feel ashamed of myself and regret it for hours afterwards. Recently, I've become very conscious of the effects of single-use plastics on the environment and feel incredibly anxious when buying food packaged in plastic, to the point where I've not eaten when I haven't been able to find food on the go that isn't packaged in plastic. I work as a primary school teacher and love my job, but find that it too can be very emotionally draining, as I often work with children who've experienced things nobody should ever have to, let alone at six years old. As it is currently the summer holidays, I have more time on my hands than usual and find myself trying to distract myself from the anxiety by watching shit TV and scrolling on Instagram. Surprisingly, this has not been successful. I end up feeling disgusted with myself for not being useful enough. I'm moving cities and jobs this summer and I'm also in a relationship I have constant anxiety about. Is he right for me? Should I end it now? Will I ever find anyone else? I'm worried that if I don't find a way to deal with this daily anxiety now, it will impact my performance in my new job and I really, really want to do well and build a good reputation for myself. I'm very, very good at hiding my anxiety and panic from others and I'm not sure my friends would guess I'm struggling. 
I feel afraid that if I was to tell my friends, as I'm so aware that this sounds like a ridiculous problem, but I don't know what to do, I can't sleep and keep crying. I've sought professional advice for my mental health once before when I was at university and a good friend committed suicide. My university provided two free therapy sessions for me and although they were helpful at the time, there was very much a get better and get out treadmill feel about it. I'm reluctant to go down this route again as I feel I should be able to just get over it as there isn't really a real problem. Thank you so much for your letter. Um, It's really interesting because I think one of the worst things that you can be told as a woman is an insult is you're being too sensitive mm. and like you Dolly I've had that a lot in my life and it's a very frustrating thing because it implies a sort of patheticness and a lack of being able to navigate the world and introspection and selfishness and all those things that are really really like nasty to hear um, but you know it unfortunately some people are more sensitive than others what I would say from hearing your letter and having read your letter and then listening to it again when Dolly read it out is that I would say what started with sensitivity in your character has now segued into something much more weighty in the reign of mental health. Mm. Because as someone who is quite sensitive, I'm very sensitive actually, but in your longer letter, almost all the things you said would not, you know, I'd never think, for example, about single-use plastics and I think that that shows that perhaps what just used to maybe you being told when you were little was you being a bit sensitive is now actually something that's really really hindering your ability to enjoy life to its full capacity and to inhabit your relationship happily and to feel confident doing your job and I think even though you said you tried it once before and you weren't that keen on going to therapy I think if you don't get help you will start to feel very very lonely and isolated indeed Mm. As I said, this really broke my heart reading this email. I kind of cried all the way through it because I've been where you are now. And the only thing that I ever read when I was going through it that really helped me was in an amazing book called Reasons to Stay Alive by Matt Haig, which chronicles his experience with depression and anxiety. And he says, remember that you are the sky and that these thoughts and this sadness and this anxiety are the clouds and you are bigger than them and they will come in and out. Um, I'd really recommend reading that book. It really helped me. Um, I'm not a professional, obviously, so I can't I can't give you professional advice. Someone once said to me, if you anticipate the, that the worst is about to happen all the time, that, you know, London's about to get bombed, your mum's about to drop dead, that you have a terminal illness, whatever, if you anticipate it constantly, then if it does happen, then you live through it twice. And if it doesn't happen, you've already had the trauma of living through it. So for me, all that stuff was always about control. Like you, I found it very difficult to face any negativity, be it personal or national or amongst my friends or, you know, the homeless thing. That was something I used to find really difficult. I used to find that very upsetting. What I infer of this, what it was for me, is that I didn't like being confronted with horrors that I knew I had no control over. As Pandora suggested, I think the best thing that you can do is speak to a professional. I know that that can be very difficult to seek on the NHS, um, but I would I would seek it out if you can. Obviously, it's a great privilege to be able to pay for um, that kind of help privately. Um, if you can make that a financial priority, I mean, nothing is more important than your health. If you can make that a financial 
priority, I would try to. If not, see if you can get it through your work. Um, and just remember that, as I said, that this is the cloud and you are the sky, to borrow the beautiful words of Matt Haig. This too shall pass. Thank you very much for writing in. That must have been a very difficult email to write and it was very brave of you to send it. And as always, if we get any helpful advice, we'll pass it straight on to you. to everyone who listened to the Hilo. Don't forget, you can rate, review and subscribe on iTunes. It really helps boost us and it helps other people find us. Thank you very much to Acast for letting us use your studio. You can tweet us, the Hilo Show, and you can also email us, show at gmail.com. We do not have an episode next week. Repeat, Dolly is going on a long anticipated holiday. We do not have an episode next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.